Psalm number 103. Uh, This evening I want to suspend our normal lesson that we have in the epistle of 1 John. Uh, Tomorrow is Thanksgiving, and so I thought that we would spend a little bit of time this evening talking about Thanksgiving or what we should be thankful for. And hopefully I'm going to bring to you a brief message so you can get out of here just a little bit early tonight, hopefully. That depends on how much I ad-lib and add to the notes that I've taken down and and whether I get off on any tangents or anything like that, chase any rabbits or those kind of things. No, I've never done that before. Uh, So maybe we'll get out a little bit early this evening. I find myself in somewhat of an odd position tonight. Uh, Brother Dalton has owned the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving for many, many years. And um, even when Pastor Cregan was here, he would be on vacation at this time of year, and Brother Dalton would be bringing the messages. This is the first time, I think, that I preached on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving since 2003. And uh, so I, I thought maybe the right thing to do was just ask Brother Dalton. It's his Wednesday night, whether he just wanted to go ahead and bring the message tonight. But he was content to sit and listen this evening and take it a little bit easy. Uh, so normally I'd be out of town. Um, we would be in San Diego because that's kind of become a little bit of a tradition to us to go down there and visit uh, Clarissa. But she's up here this year because of the baby. And so for the first time in a long time, we have all of our family together here in Santa Rosa. So I'm preaching this tonight. Uh, Brother Dalton won't be. Now I'd like for you then to look at uh, Psalm number 103. And we're going to take a look at the first eight verses tonight. I preached from this psalm a long, long time ago, and I'm quite sure that you don't remember that it was ever brought up in this church before. And uh, I preached a little bit different message then anyway, but we're going to look at this psalm once again this evening, and there really are some great lessons that we can learn here about blessings and benefits that God has given us. Uh, On this past Sunday morning, I was speaking about spiritual blessings in the first part of the message, and... I talked about how we need to be thankful for those spiritual blessings that God has given. And and I looked at this psalm, and I find more of these blessings here. Uh, We only had time to discuss three of those blessings on this past Sunday morning. So you can go through the Bible, and you can think about your life, and you're going to come up with many, many ways that God has blessed you. And I think in this psalm here, we find some ways that we want to look at. This is a psalm of David. And most of you are probably aware that not all of the psalms were written by David. This particular one was, and it's a song or a hymn of praise. And it's David's determination to acknowledge what God has given him. We notice in the second verse of this psalm that he says that he should not forget all of God's benefits. And you'll notice I said that David said that he should not forget all of God's benefits. Anybody here ever talk to yourself? You know, I do that sometimes. I talk to myself. I I figure that um, I'm the most intelligent person I can talk to, so I might as well speak to myself, and I can learn a lot from me. But that's what we have in this psalm. We have David here talking to himself. Now, you have psalms that are uh, written to other people. You have psalms that are written in praise to God. You have... Uh, psalms that are speaking to us, God speaking to us. And this is one of those psalms where David writes and he speaks to himself. So this is David talking to himself. You'll look at Psalm 103, verse number 1. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. 
who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. I want you to notice several words that are in these verses, and these words will form the basis for our discussion tonight. In verse number 3, it's forgiveness and healing. In verse number 4, redemption and crowning. In verse number 5, satisfaction and renewing. In verse number 6, there's the execution of righteousness and judgment for the oppressed. And in verse number 8, we find mercy and grace. Those are benefits of people who trust in God. Now, the rest of this psalm is actually a further development of what we read in those first eight verses, and there's a whole lot here. And and these eight things that I want to bring to you this evening, we could talk on each one of them, make a sermon out of all of them, but we're not going to do that. We're just going to mention them briefly this evening. And I want to give you eight benefits that the child of God receives, and on this Thanksgiving, you can thank God for every one of these benefits. The first one that we find in this psalm is that we are absolved. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. In a few weeks, we're going to study uh, Matthew chapter 9, and there we'll continue with studying Christ's miracles. Uh, All the miracles that Jesus did that proved that he was God in the flesh and As you know, Matthew highlights those and and shows us particular ones that show us that Jesus truly is God. And in that ninth chapter, it starts out with Jesus healing a paralyzed man. And before he healed him, he said to him, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And then he turned and he spoke to those Jews that were aghast that he could ever make such a claim that he could forgive sin. And he said to them, I'm going to heal this man so that you know the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. That was a statement of the deity of Christ, but it was also a statement that Jesus is able to do what man needs most. You can add up all the woes of man and you can enumerate all the areas where we need help And you'll find that this is actually our greatest need, that we need the forgiveness of our sins. Now, you can look at the Bible from lots of different angles. You can come up with things that you call the central theme of the Bible. But surely this is a central theme that Christ came into the world to forgive sins. And I think it's just stunningly remarkable that that is a central theme of the Bible, and yet that is left out of most preaching. Nobody wants to preach about sin anymore. Preachers don't want to remind people of sin because they already feel bad about themselves. What Joel Osteen Osteen said, I don't want to preach about sin. I don't want to talk about hell because people already feel bad about themselves. But that's not what David says. The psalmist says, I want to remind myself of this. I am a sinner and God has the power to forgive all of my iniquities. And if you'll look a little bit further down in this psalm, you'll find what God does with those sins. In verse number 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. So God takes sin away, and he puts them in a place where we're never going to meet those sins again. East is always east, west is always west. 
Those two can never come together. And so God puts our sins in a place where they can never be remembered again. And why does God do that? Because that's our greatest need. And God gives us this greatest benefit. He has the ability to forgive us of our sins. So, David says, God has provided me with my greatest need. He forgives me all of my sins. And he says, I will not forget this benefit. And, of course, David must not forget it because we do know what a great sinner that David was. You know, it's puzzling to people how that David could be called a man who was after God's own heart, and yet David committed some terrible sins. There was the sin of adultery of Bathsheba. Then David had Uriah, her husband, killed, had him murdered. And so they wonder, how could he ever be called a man who had a heart for God? And it's because of what David knows right here, and that is he knows that God forgives sin. If you come to him in repentance, acknowledging your sin, then God will forgive that sin. And so David, being a great sinner, was a man after God's own heart because he knew when he failed and he knew he had to have God help him and deliver him from those sins. And so David says, I'm not going to forget this benefit. I am a sinner and God is able to forgive my sins. Now that leads me then into the second one. We are restored. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who healeth all thy diseases. In the 23rd Psalm, David said, He restoreth my soul, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. And that's what God does. He, that's what he does for the penitent. He forgives sin, he restores us into fellowship with him, and he returns us into those paths of righteousness. Now, when we think about healing, God healing all of our diseases, we have to be drawn to the Bible's many metaphors about sickness and how that compares to the spiritual condition of every soul. The Bible teaches that we are sick to death. We are the walking dead. The Bible refers to leprosy as a type of sin, and a person who had leprosy in the Bible times was considered to be as good as dead. There was no hope for him. Uh, He had this disease in him, and so he was as if he was a dead man walking because death was inevitable for him, and he was already treated as if he was dead. People stayed away from him. They wouldn't have anything to do with him. You know, we don't have anything to do with dead people. We don't spend our time in cemeteries. I don't know anybody who does that. Next week we're going to study a couple of men who did spend some time in the cemetery, but they only did that because they had a devil in them. So we know... Uh, We don't spend time with dead people, and that's the way they treated lepers. They were just as good as dead, so they didn't want to be around them. David says that God restores the soul. He heals all of our diseases. I can't think of anything that's worse than the infection of sin. Sin runs deep into us. It's like a cancer that spreads throughout our body. Every part of us is is infected with sin. The Bible teaches us from the top of our head to the soles of our feet we're infected with sin. It's no wonder that preachers don't want to talk about it because if you present sin the way the Bible says and and tells us that we're sinners, it's not going to attract very many people. You're not going to win friends and influence people by telling them they're sinners. People don't want to come and hear messages like that. And so you have people that stay away, just like the Pharisees didn't like it when Jesus said, your your righteousness is no good. God doesn't count that. 
It's, it's no good. You are sinners, and the Pharisees didn't like it, and they refused the message of Christ. People do the same thing today. If you pull out scriptures that talk about their sin, they don't want to hear about that, and preachers don't want to preach about it because sin is horrible. Sin is loathsome. Sin makes us loathsome. And nobody wants to think that, well, God calls me a sinner. God sees me as a sinner. God sees me as impure, as foul and depraved. Everybody wants to think, well, God loves me. And they want to talk about God's love. Well, God does love people. There's no question about that. Thank God that he does. But he doesn't love you because you're something worth loving, that's for sure. You're a sinner. You're loathsome in the eyes of God. And you're not what he wants you to be until he cleans you up and saves your soul. Now, the 147th Psalm says, He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. And that's a great benefit that we get from God. He forgives our sins. He heals us from all of sin's effects. Now, there's some people who, or there is some disagreement, I should say, about what this means here, what healing in this verse means. Uh, John Gill says that this does not refer to physical illnesses. And his argument is that this is put right after the forgiveness of sin and it's connected to sin. And he says that we are cured from this sinful condition that we're in by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's certainly true. Uh, We we are healed through the gospel of Christ. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce, who is also a very good commentator, says no, that's not right. What he is talking about here is bodily illnesses. When a person is sick and then he recovers, that recovery comes from God. God heals us of our diseases. But then Boyce admits that there's a problem with the interpretation because there are some who take that God heals from all diseases and and they say, well, that means that there's healing in the atonement, that Christians should never be sick. And there are a lot of people that are teaching that today. It's very popular in charismatic churches. But I notice that the people who teach this, that all of those preachers die. I've, I've, never, I've never been to a funeral where someone said, well, at least he died healthy. You don't die healthy. I mean, if you're dead, that's a pretty bad condition to be in. You never say that a corpse is healthy. But we do know, of course, that God does heal from physical disease. And when God heals, what do you do? You thank him. He's the one that's the cause of it. That's a benefit. Now, if a doctor is able to diagnose you and give you medicine to help you get over a problem that you have and cure you of a disease, or if he gives you an operation and and he's able to cure you of a disease, who do you thank? Well, you thank God, because God's the one who gave that doctor all of his ability. God has allowed people to learn some things about how to treat the human body. And so, if you want to trace the recovery from your illnesses to any place, trace it right back to God. That's a benefit that we get from him. So God restores the soul from sin, and God also restores the body to health. And both of those are benefits that we receive from God. Now, the third benefit we get is that we are redeemed. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Now, can you thank the Lord for that, that he redeems your life from destruction? Look, look at that word redeemed for just a minute. This is the same word that we find, well, it's many times in the Bible, but we find the same word in the beautiful love story of Ruth and Boaz. Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. That's the gall in Hebrew, the kinsman redeemer. He was the relative 
who was able to buy Naomi's property. He was able to marry Ruth and to raise up seed of her dead husband. And so he was the one who had the right to purchase that property. And that is one of the most important concepts that we find in Scripture. That in order for Christ to redeem us, he had to be a kinsman redeemer. That means that he has to be related to man. And this is why Jesus had to become incarnate. He had to become a man in order to redeem us, to have that right to redeem us from our iniquities and to buy us out of the slave market of sin. And that is one of the major meanings of the word redeem. It means to buy someone out of that slave market. And when, we refer, when we're talking about salvation, it refers to buying us out of the slave market of sin. Now, a moment ago, I said that uh, preachers don't like to talk about sin. But I wonder, how is it that you're able to speak of Christ and not relate that to the death of the cross? What, what is Christianity without the cross? How can you preach Christ without talking about the cross? And what did Christ do on the cross? Well, that's where he went to bear the punishment of sin. Sin was placed upon him. You can't leave out the cross. That's where Christ purchased us out of, out of the slave market of sin by shedding his blood for us. He paid the debt of sin on the cross. And if you leave that out, you can't be a Christian. You can't skip over sin and death and hell and skip over the cross of Jesus Christ and what he did there and call yourself Christian. And I would submit to you that people that are in churches or listening to preachers where sin is not mentioned, where hell is not mentioned, where nobody wants to talk about the cross of Christ, they're all pretenders. They're not Christians. And I know that that's going to get me on the poo-poo list of the ministerial association But folks, I don't care. I mean, I don't care to be associated with anybody who denies the suffering of Christ for sin and doesn't want to talk about the payment of what Christ did on the cross to redeem us from sin. I don't care anything at all about associating with them. What we need to do is to tell people about this. This is what they do need to hear. There is no Christianity without it. And so when you gather at the table tomorrow, thank God for his benefits. Thank him for this, that you are redeemed from destruction. Well, there's also a controversy about this statement made by David. Uh, David often speaks about being delivered from his enemies. And you'll find that in the Psalms where David talks about this. Uh, his, Saul was an enemy of David and, and others were enemies and David needed protection. And so he talks about being delivered in that way. And I think that's a good thought as well. We, we are protected by the Lord. Every day we are protected by him. There's no telling how many times that you could have been in an accident and God has put that hedge of protection around you and kept you from being harmed. Every time that I ride with my wife in the car and she's driving, I think about that. I mean, when I get home, I say, thank the Lord, I could have been killed. And, and I think about that sometimes when I'm driving too because I have a bad habit. You know, I just told you I talk to myself. And when I'm talking to myself, I'm getting all these words of wisdom and I'm, and I'm, not, paying very good, I'm not paying very good attention to what's going on. And I have this real bad habit of reading emails on my phone while I'm driving down the road. And that's not a good thing to do. And I'm telling you, I, I thank the Lord that he's better than my insurance company. He takes care of me better than they do. But that's a great benefit. He protects us. He puts that hedge of protection around us. Fourthly, we find in these scriptures a benefit. We are crowned. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. 
Listen to this beautiful song sung by those who come into the kingdom of God. In Isaiah 51, verse 11, Isaiah says, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. I believe that that has application to the coming of Christ's kingdom upon the earth. And I'm thankful that after nearly two years of preaching in the book of Revelation where we've talked about tribulation and we've spoken of sorrow and about sin, the Antichrist and all of those things, the devil and his angels, now we're getting close to the time that we can talk about the millennial kingdom of Christ. And you see what Isaiah 51:11 says will be on our heads? Everlasting joy is on the heads of the redeemed. They're crowned with the loving kindness of God. His mercies are rich towards us. Now, our spiritual blessings that we're talking about here, this is where we want our affections to lie. And those spiritual blessings that God gives us are like a crown of jewels that God puts upon our head. Uh, We're beautified by the blessings that God gives. Uh, We were ugly and unlovable. We were urchins. And God set his affection upon us. On Sunday night, I'm going to begin a series of messages on the bride of Christ And there we'll see how that Christ loved us before the foundation of the world, that he loved us for no cause that was in us, and God chose us to be his own. And I'm thankful for that benefit that God gives. I don't want to forget that. He crowns his people and he rewards them. We're objects of his great love. And so he gave his life for us. In Ephesians chapter 2 it says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then in Revelation chapter 1, it says, Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are crowned. And this verse actually means that we become a kingdom of priests. And we're going to reign with Christ. That's a great benefit. I'm crowned. Fifthly, we are satisfied. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. I think there's a very interesting allusion that David makes in this verse. He says that God satisfies us in such an invigorating way that we get a feeling of youthfulness. It actually changes the countenance of a person. Can you tell the difference between somebody who's satisfied and dissatisfied? I can. As a pastor, I'd much rather pastor a church full of satisfied people than I would dissatisfied. But people come to church that way sometimes, and you can tell it. You can look at their faces, and there's something going on in their lives or some problem that they have. Some people just don't want to be here. They come to church because maybe they think they have an obligation to, but you don't see happiness on their face. You see the dissatisfaction of having to be here. I'm thankful that God satisfies us. When we think about the blessings that he gives, he satisfies us. Dissatisfaction weighs you down. As I said, you see it on people's faces. Now, David here uh, has an allusion to the eagle and the value that's placed upon the feathers of a young eagle. 
in Native American Indian culture, and we have some folks here tonight could know far more about this than I do, but in that culture, the feathers of a young eagle are the most prized. The young eagle's feathers, a, a golden eagle's feathers, are, are strong, and they have white tips, or they're, or they're uh, white feathers with black tips, and those are the feathers that they would try to get in order to make their, their headdresses. That was the most sought-after feather. And the symbolism of that is the connection between the earth and the sky, that the eagle soars close to God. Now, I'm not advocating Indian beliefs in nature and the great spirit or anything like that, but there is a connection here in the symbolism, and that is the soul that is satisfied feels nearer to God. When you're satisfied, you feel near to him. Now, Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. And I love this psalm, Psalm 65, verse number 4. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. I like that verse because there's some wonderful doctrine there. God chooses us, and then God is the one who causes us to approach him. Jesus said the very same thing. He said, no man can come to me unless the Father draws him. And when the Father does draw us, what do we receive from him? He fills us up. He satisfies us. We're satisfied when we come to him. Sixthly, we are delivered. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. Now that comes out of the sixth verse, and the sixth verse is talking about deliverance of Israel from Egypt. And we find this out by reading verse number 7. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. Now that is a, a great story, the story about Israel's deliverance from Egypt. Of all the stories in the Bible, that is the one that's repeated the most times in Scripture. If ever an example needed to be given to the children of Israel, given to their children, about the faithfulness of God, about God's justice that he never forgets his people, they would always use this story. This is the one that they would tell. He never lets the oppressed go without vengeance. And we've seen that repeatedly in Revelation. Uh, our final deliverance is guaranteed to us in such a way that even though it hasn't yet happened, in the book of Revelation, it speaks often about, or uh, speaks often as if it has already happened. It is so sure that the Bible uses language to say it has already happened. And even as a general principle, the world knows this. You ever heard the saying, what goes around comes around? Well, that's just people saying they know that the guilty are going to be punished. The wicked are going to get their due. God favors justice, and so the wicked will always get his due. Now, maybe we don't always see it in this life, but it will come. No one ever escapes God's judgment. John Gill says, All good men who are oppressed by tyrannical princes and cruel persecutors... And all such whom the man of the earth, the man of sin, Antichrist oppresses, and all those who are oppressed by the devil, buffeted by Satan, and bore down with his temptations, the Lord rebukes him in his own time and delivers his people out of his hands. Now, why should we thank the Lord for that benefit? I mean, is it wrong for us to wish this upon our enemies? Well, it's not when it becomes a display of God's righteousness. 
Sin is an offense against the holy God, and God avenge, when God avenges sin, his righteous character is put on display. And what do we want to do? We want to exalt God. We want to glorify him. And so if there's anything that exalts God, we have to be in favor of that. And I am in favor of that. And so we thank the Lord that he delivers us from our oppressors. He's given us the benefit of righteousness. He makes us like him. And we rejoice in the benefit of relief from sinful oppression. Number seven is that we are pitied. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The Lord is merciful. Now, if you look down at verses 13 and 14, it says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. God knows what we are. God knows how helpless we are. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. So God knows how weak you are. God knows what you're able to bear. The apostle said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be attempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. So God is always merciful to us in the time of need. A moment ago I said our greatest need is forgiveness. There's no reason why God should forgive us. We hated him. We cursed him. We resisted him. All of us are born that way. We all act that way. And yet scripture says when we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. There was nothing in us, nothing in in us for God to love and show mercy upon. But he does that. Because that's God's character. He saves us in mercy. He always stands by with mercy. And so when we're distressed, when we're worried, when the hardest of times come, when we don't know what to do, God is always compassionate towards us and he comforts us. Now that, friends, is actually a supernatural work of God in our hearts. A person who's not a Christian doesn't receive this. This is why you see Christians that maybe something terrible happens. They lose a child. And a Christian rebounds from that, and he can still glorify God. It's why a Christian can see a a loved one suffer from disease, terrible diseases, and die from that and still praise God that God is a good God. It's why I can go to the hospital and I can visit people that should be despondent, should be very depressed, and yet we find them with a smile on their face. You know, a week or so, about a week ago, I... I went to visit Jack in the hospital, and he said, and he had a smile on his face. I walked into the room, and he was talking to me, and he says, this couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. And I know he was kidding about that, so I just said, well, Jack, it couldn't have happened to a more deserving person either. And there are people who fuss about my bedside manner. But you really don't have to worry about God's bedside manner, do you? I mean, God is always compassionate to us. He always says the right thing. He always brings us the comfort that we need. And that's because God knows the weakness of our frame. Thank God for his benefits. Now we come to um, this last one, number eight. And that is, we are favored. We have the benefit from God that we are favored. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The Lord is gracious. Grace is God's favor upon us for nothing that's good in us, for no work that we've done, no good work, no faith that was foreseen. God is gracious. And I saved this one for the last. 
Um, there's no way that we can exhaust this subject. I mean, we could go on and on. Now, God, for his wise purposes, it's gracious to us. In, in, in our brand of theology, if you want to call it that, I, I think it's biblical. We have an exalted view of God wherein we rest solely and wholly upon the sovereign pleasure of God's good will. He favors us, and we thank him for his favor. Now, that's why that we call ourselves Sovereign Grace Baptist. I know some don't like the name, but it's okay with me because grace is God's to bestow on whomever he will, whenever he wills, and we're thankful that God's grace, his favor, has been given to us. Did we deserve that? Of course not. Did we ever do anything for it? No. Well, the Bible teaches that when I was dead, when I had no hope, when there was no possibility that I could come to him, that God came to me. I couldn't move towards him, but God came to me. Now, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2 for our final reading tonight. We'll read this scripture and then we'll be finished. And uh, I can't think of a better place to leave, leave this than this thought. We thank God for his benefits. We are absolved. We are restored. We're redeemed. We're crowned. We're satisfied. We're delivered. We're pitied. And we're favored by God. Now, listen to what the scriptures say about our condition and what God did through his grace. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, do you see what God is doing here, what Paul is, is writing about here? He's laying man down into the dust. And he's showing us that there is no possible way that we had any hope in anything that we could do, nothing in ourselves. He says, we were children of wrath, even as others. But God, verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Let me drop back to verse 5 there for just a second. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together. That means that you were dead. Dead, you know, dead in this scripture has meaning. People think, well, dead, well, that must mean I had a little bit of life. I must have been able to do something. I've never seen dead people do anything. Have you? Dead people don't do anything. That's why he uses the word dead here. It's so we understand this. Dead people don't do anything. And so he said he quickened us. That means he brought us to life when we were dead before we did anything. And why did he bring us to life? In order that he would give us faith that we could put in him. God does all of that. It all comes by his grace. These things aren't put here by accident. Verse number 6, And it raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's a scripture that people like, also like to argue about. What is it that's the gift of God? Is it grace? Is it faith? Is it salvation? I say it's all of that. All of it's the gift of God. Every part of it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, 
and forget not all his benefits. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're able to look into your word tonight. And as David has expressed it so beautifully to us in all these words that he's given us, we just thank you, Lord, for all of the benefits that you've given us. Bless your people, Lord. Give us a good day tomorrow. And we do thank you. We thank you most of all for Jesus Christ coming into the world to save us from our sins. Bless us, Lord, as we sing and as we go from this place. Keep everyone safe on this weekend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray.